I've been sitting on this for a couple of days. Um, it's an interesting position to be in, to be um, a person of European descent um, and to learn of the atrocities and the abuse done unto people of color of all walks of life uh, by the hands of people who look like you. And, you know, I, I, me, myself, I've kind of teetered back and forth with, you know, what is my positioning in all this? You know, what, what is my contribution to this conversation? Um, you know, is it my place to say this, that, and the other? Um, and maybe that's not an uncommon sentiment at the hands of, uh, white people who quote, I don't know, are woke or, or at least, you know, have their eyes open to, to the very real um, reality that surrounds us. It's not hard to see, you know, you know, I'm going to take that back. I don't think you need to be a quote woke person. I think you just need to open your eyes. Um, but I'm reminded of conversations I've been blessed enough to have with people who are descendants of colonized people, colonized by European people. Um, and when I've kind of thrown this idea around with them, I really have appreciated the feedback that I've gotten from them. You know, some of my best friends who, um, again, I feel like I'm blessed to have the opportunity to have people like this in my life who, who speak with me very openly and honestly about their experience. And while I can't understand it experientially myself, um, I feel like, you know, they certainly don't hold back. And, um, you know, I think that's an important um, exposure for, for white people to have, actually. Um, so, you know, what I understand from them and their take on it, I suppose, is, you know, if, if anybody should be making some kind of commentary on all of this, it should be white people. It should be people who look like the people who are the perpetrators of this bullshit. You know, and I'm inspired by um, Ahmaud Arbery, but I mean, there's just so many others. Um, I guess he's the most recent um, situation that has come to light that we've learned about. Um, but again, yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't, it's, it's not hard to see. It's, it's an everyday thing um, that unfortunately transpires all the time. Um, so again, yeah, I mean, I think that if there's anybody who should be more boisterous about this, who should add commentary to this, it's white people. It's like, you know, I mean, maybe some some intersections can be made as far as the patriarchy as well. Yes, I mean, women women can hold their ground. People of color can hold their ground. But it takes those who are in power to to support to support their argument, so to speak, to support their cause, you know, because if it's just, you know, the quote, oppressed speaking their piece, then, you know, it's just, it's not as powerful. It's not as powerful. So it isn't a commentary on the capacity or the competency 
of the quote oppressed person, um, which, you know, maybe some white people approach it in that way. And I know I certainly have at some points in my life, but it's more about, you know, there are people who hold these positions of power who from the inside, from the top, you know, can, can start to change things, can contribute, can support this cause, you know, and I'm reminded as well of, you know, going back to the conversations I've had in the past. And one thing that's stuck with me is, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, especially, um, you know, say in the past decade or two, there's a lot of, um, conversation that transcends just, you know, um, certain enclosed circles. There's more of a global or public conversation about colonialism and its effects. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm reminded of, of what one of my very dear friends said and, and kind of brought to my attention was, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot of detrimental effects clearly on, on colonized, quote unquote, colonized people. Um, because of colonialism, but what about, what about the effects of colonialism on the perpetrators of it? What about the effects of colonialism on white people? And, you know, not from a white sympathist perspective, but, you know, what has it done to the white psychology, the white psyche, um, to have, um, kind of unleashed, this evil on other people in the world who, I mean, spiritually, we're all, we're all so deeply intertwined. We're all so connected. Um, you know, and we, we have these different bodies, of course, that have <laughs> caused more trouble than anything sometimes, but um, spiritually, we're all very intertwined and we're all very connected. So, you know, even if intellectually, you don't see the damage that um, bringing such harm and destruction to other people has caused you, your spirit knows it, your spirit knows it. And, um, you know, in that way, you know, it's been, it's a huge detriment to people of European descent you know, that, that their ancestors, again, were the perpetrators of this. And, you know, we can't go back and, and change things, but we can, we can make it right now. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, the one, two, three plan is to make, you know, to reverse colonialism. I mean, I don't think that that can happen, but we can start changing power structures from the inside now. Um, you know, it shouldn't be just black people who are outraged by um, something like or someone like Ahmaud Arbery. It shouldn't be people who black people who are the most um, vocal about this. <laughs> it, it should be white people. We have the problem. We have the problem and we need to start fixing it. Um I'm reminded of Toni Morrison's 
interview with Charlie Rose, I believe it was. This is back in the early 90s. And um, amongst, you know, a lot of other very wise and poignant things she was talking about in that interview, one of them was that, you know, if you can only be tall because others are on their knees, then you have a problem, you know, in reference to white people and and black people and the dynamic between them. Um, so we have a problem and we need to start figuring out how we're going to fix it. We need to start figuring out and questioning our our privilege beyond just a hashtag that says, you know, hashtag white privilege or, or whatever it means. Beyond joking about it, um, we need to start questioning our power and how we can contribute to equalizing things. Um, it's just, it's insanity that something like this happens. And it's an assault. I think a lot of people have expressed that of all walks of life, in fact, of all colors and creeds. They've, they've talked about how it feels like it's an assault to our hearts, to our spirits, to watch something like this happen to this young man. And, you know, I don't know the entire story. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I want to. I, I came across the video. I couldn't watch it all the way through. I remember crying, that which I, I did watch, because <laughs> there's something at our core that is colorless that responds to something like that. Um, and I think it should. I think it should respond to something like that. And instead of watching this happen over and over again, um, we need to be the ones who are in our circles that bring this shit to light and that challenge it, you know, um, on a micro scale and on a macro scale so that things like this, you know, don't continue happening. And I'm not even sure, but I'm, uh, it took months, I believe, for these, these two fools to be charged with anything. Now, I, again, I don't know what the, what the situation around that was. I don't know if they weren't able to be located or, or what it was, but, um, <laughs> it, it shouldn't take that long for justice to be served. And it certainly shouldn't be happening in the first place. We need to understand this is indeed an assault to all of humanity. And it is true that if all of us are not free, then none of us are free. And white supremacy isn't just about maintaining this hierarchical racial structure. Because we're all suffering. We're all suffering in this system. Some of us, of course, in different ways and to differing degrees than others. But it should be, it should be white people challenging this shit. First and foremost. So rest in peace.
Ahmad and, and so many others who have died senselessly, fucking senselessly. And God bless. Hey everyone, recording live from somewhere. Do you remember that? Who remembers that? Well, if you know, you know. Uh, anyways, hello. Um, I am recording live from somewhere. I'm recording live from my bedroom. Um, I would be recording elsewhere, but my dog and I just went on a nice long walk and she's panting like a bitch and it's quite distracting. So I had to set some boundaries and, uh, she's just chilling in the living room while I do my thing in my bedroom. Anyway, um, so what's up everyone? It's been quite the time that we've been experiencing now with this quarantine, Um, it's been, well, I'm a teacher, so I have been, I'm a teacher by trade, so I have been out of work, quote unquote, since the March break. So, um, I believe most things kind of closed down toward the end of March, March 18th or so, but I've been off for about two weeks even before that. So a little bit prolonged, um, but here we are, uh, uh, everyone I talk to, myself included, um, you know, there's been some very poignant lessons, some very poignant reflections, surely, that have come about. And as is usually the case, I mean, the universe will ask us questions. The universe will prompt us. And, I mean, we, we accept it or we don't. We have that choice, I suppose. Um, and, I mean, we can go into to that even, into the illusion of free choice, but we'll leave that aside. Um, but point being... Um, we are asked these questions and we decide whether or not we accept to explore them and answer them, so to speak. So, um, lots of that. And, um, again, some people have kind of taken that path in their lifetime for that matter, um, or on a more micro scale, just during this time that we've been locked down and others, not so much. Um, so I'm, I had a conversation with my sister, my very, very best friend that, um, you know, we've transcended that titling to this point. It's been 20 plus years. So, um, I called her my sister and, um, we had a really, uh, great discussion as we usually do. And, uh, you know, I think it, it came, I would say that thematically it was about self-care and I mean, that's a buzzword these days, of course, but Um, It was about self-care and that means different things to different people and what we were discussing in as far as myself is um, is joy and how joy is connected to self-care and I'm going to expand on that a little bit where it concerns me. Um, You know, I think I've taken time, namely the past two years or so. Um, to really explore the concept of self-care and what it means and, um, you know, more than that, engage in it. And, you know, admittedly, you know, for a, a good portion of my life, if not the majority of my life, because of traumas and what have you that had transpired, um, I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know what it was. And more than that, I didn't think I was worthy of it. And this was a lot of the times it was subconscious stuff. It wasn't me consciously telling myself this and acting upon it. 
um, you know, oftentimes it's not so stark where you're telling yourself, I don't deserve this, I'm not worthy of this, but it lives in us nonetheless. It comes out in us nonetheless. It's a trend in what we choose and how we move, etc., etc. So we were talking about joy and how it uh, connects to self-care. And as I was saying, I'm not a stranger to self-care. Still, I've been... I've been feeling a little bit of a void, I guess you could call it. Um, You know, and I'm intellectually, I'm kind of listing off these things. Like, this is what I do to quote unquote care for myself. I, um, you know, at its bare bones, I would say that self care is about, you know, finding what, um, what's, feels beautiful to you, what feels nourishing to you, what feels like you are taking yourself into account. Um, So in ways I've kind of always enacted that. I've always been active. I've always taken care of my body, uh, which is one part, one facet of self-care, surely. Um, Later on, as I've said the last two years or so, I started getting more into meditation and yoga, which certainly is a part of self-care a lot of people practice those elements I suppose um, of self-care and you know more than that it's again the past year two years I've been exploring more things like even something as simple as you know um, a lovely skincare routine or something like that facials um, just things that feel good right it doesn't have to be so um, ambiguous, really. It, I mean, I think that self-care is certainly more than getting facials, but um, that's, uh, you know, that's an element of it. That's a component of it. Um, and then, again, more than that, um, there's been a lot of inner work. Still a lot more to go. We're always a work in progress, but a lot of inner work. So again, I feel like that's a very important component of self-care. So intellectually I'm kind of you know going through this Rolodex of the things that I do and I'm questioning like what what's missing missing here what's this void this kind of blandness that I feel so to speak um and in that conversation that I had with my sister it was um discussed I suppose that you know it's the joy it's the component of joy that is missing even in the things that I do to take care of myself. I have a tendency, and maybe some people can relate, to becoming mechanical with things, very routine-based. And especially in a time like this, during this quarantine, I think that's kind of a healthy practice, right? Um, But different medicines for different people. And for me, that, um, that routine and that, I guess, that mechanicalness if that's a word um has been you know prevalent it's been a prevalent theme in my life and I don't want to demonize it I don't want to uh, you know speak down to it because it certainly has its place but it can also um rob or suck the life out of things and rob the joy of things and even in my yoga that I love to do and, um, you know, my working out that I love to do and 
the reading and the podcast that I listen to to learn more about myself and you know how I can nurture my inner child and how to kind of navigate through my triggers etc etc um you know if if there isn't some joyousness in these things even when these things can be heavy then I just don't for me it just doesn't seem as if it sticks as much it doesn't seem as if it's as effective um so you know I'll give you an example with yoga I have my own yoga room in my condo and I've you know designed it just so and it's a really beautiful kind of um quiet place that I like to spend my time in um but my my the asana the um positions that I do in yoga are much the same or have been much the same for the better part of a year because I just do my own kind of program so in that you know even though the yoga in and of itself is relaxing and you know it's beautiful and the movement is um therapeutic body mind and soul um because i'm just kind of going through the motions in in a way it's become a little bit mechanical and so i'm not reaping the benefits from it the way i might have when i was going to yoga classes and i was following the instructor and we were doing different positions and challenging myself um in that respect in different ways so I guess a solution I came up with in in regards to that was okay so maybe I should um follow a video from here on in so I can still practice my yoga but it isn't so you know it isn't so routine it isn't just literally going through the motions um and in that it's just very simply I think it will reignite some sense of joy and spontaneity in in this case my yoga practice and you know i want to carry that forward into other spheres of my life um you know where working out and and weightlifting is concerned because this is something i genuinely enjoy it it helps to change it up or you know even you know when we could um i started going to the gym with a friend of mine or just very simplistic ways in which to again add a little bit of spark or spontaneity to something that isn't in itself destructive in fact it's the opposite of that it's a very healthy thing to incorporate into your life but um again speaking to my medicine it can become routine and very robotic so it kind of robs the joy from that particular thing um where you know learning about myself is concerned that you know it's a little bit different from the physical self-care um like working out because there's just there's there's just a wealth of things you can learn about yourself and that transform and evolve as time goes on as well and um and I feel like namely the past year I've been really called to delve into these um long standing traumas in my life that you know I didn't know were um kind of dictating my present in a lot of ways especially where relationships with people were concerned and um you know in my case it was 
a lot of closed offness, a lot of protectionism being um, embraced, you know, and, and not not intentionally, but it, it was nonetheless. So, you know, uh, dismantling a system that has been in place for, you know, 30 plus years is no easy feat. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like this will be, you know, my life's work. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because again, we are works in progress. And, you know, uh, a beloved auntie of mine uses the metaphor of the onion and peeling the onion. And once you peel one layer, there's another layer to peel. And then there's another layer to peel after that. And that can sound daunting, but it can be a really um, rewarding and enriching experience when, again, joy is kind of incorporated into it. And that, you know, it's not always going to be sunshine and lollipops, especially when you're attacking these seemingly ancient traumas. But um, I think it's a necessity to, again, incorporate into it. And where I'm concerned, that I feel has been the void. It's the missing piece of the puzzle is to reignite that joy in some of the things that I'm doing. So what I'm doing is not unhealthy and what I'm doing is not, um, you know, it's it's not that it isn't, you know, very worthwhile components of self-care and self-love. It's just perhaps the way I'm going about it. Um, the sometimes robotic way that I'm going about it, the sometimes very routine way I'm going about it. Um, and really, it just kind of requires a little bit of spice, a little bit of sprucing up. That's kind of the imagery that comes to my mind. A little bit of sprucing up these same practices with a little bit of spice. Um, and then, of course, more. For example, this this podcast, just new things to explore that um, might spark inspiration and, and passion and um, a sense of fullness in my heart. So I wonder how many of you or how many of us can relate to that, where it feels like, you know, you've made the list of things to do to care for yourself and Namely, with all of the platforms, the social media platforms we have now, you can, it's very easily accessible. You can Google, like, how do I love myself, right? And, and you'll get, you know, pretty pertinent information about that. Um, uh, of course, living that is entirely different. But, you know, and I'll be honest, really, I Googled what is self-love. I really did because... You know, at that time, I had no, it's just, I felt like there was such a gray area. It's it's such a talked about thing these days, but there's also a certain ambiguity about it. And, um, you know, I I wanted to, to learn how others at least defined it and how they went about, um, finding that in themselves and how they went about living that. So point being, the information is there, but um, how many of us can relate to my experience where we're kind of, we're, we're 
ticking these boxes off, I guess you could say, we're ticking these boxes off of, of what to do to, um, to enact self-care and to enact self-love. Um, but there just seems to be something missing. And for you, it may not even be joy. You know, for me, that's what seems to be screaming out to me right now. But for you, it might be, you got to go a little deeper. You know, for you, it might be the opposite, the contrary of what my medicine is. My medicine seems to be, again, calling out to me um, to invite more joy and lightness into this process. But for you, it might be you've got to go deeper. You've got to do the raw work. You've got to cry about it. You've got to really go to the depths and dig in your guts and all that kind of stuff. So it really is different medicines for different people. Um, And self-love and self-care looks differently for everyone. I really do believe that. I think there's some cornerstones that we can maybe all agree upon, but how we live that and how we move through those things and other things is is going to be different depending on who we are and what our paths are. So that's my spiel for today. Um, yeah, like do the work, do the work. Um, and more than that, I think I've learned as late when you're doing the work, you know, to just even to refine that further. And it's like, what, what do I need in this process of doing this work? Is it more joy? Is it more kind of buckling down and doing what I got to do? Is it more support from others? Is it more going inside of, going inside of myself? Um, and there's no right or wrong answer. I think it just, for me anyway, I feel that in exploring that, it clarifies things for me. It makes me feel that, all right, I'm not, um, I'm not at a total loss here. There's, um, there's something that's very important that I'm just not really um, opening up and allowing into me and into my life and into this process. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I invite you all to think about that. Uh, I certainly have been doing that. And after we've kind of maybe come to some sense of a conclusion to have the courage and the um, the wherewithal and the capacity to invite those things in and um, keep doing the do. All right, y'all. See you on the flip side.